Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. On the back of those notices, just to say, if you are watching this on, on Facebook or if you're listening to this on the podcast, uh, then you won't be able to see what I've put in the chat box. So let me just give my email address out as well in case you want to get hold of me about anything. Uh, and then I can uh, let you have links or information or whatever you need. It's tom at ccm.org.uk. So uh, I want you to think uh, as we start this talk uh, about the first day of a new job that you've had. So uh, imagine going into work on your first day uh, and bring to mind what was your experience of that day. Uh, and it might vary. Uh, it might be different for different jobs that you've had. Sometimes uh, it's a great day. You get to know a lot of new people. You feel like instantly you're able to get to grips with a job and make a difference. Uh, but I know a lot of the time, it's not like that. I've talked with quite a few of you uh, privately about experiences that you've had of a, of a first day at work where you're a little bit lost, where you're not quite sure what to do because uh, you're there, you've got your desk, but it hasn't been made clear to you what's expected of you and how sh you should be using your time and what contribution they want you to make. And that's a difficult thing, isn't it? That sense of, I'm here now, but now what? Now, now, what should I be doing? How should I be engaging with this? Now, unfortunately, I can't answer that question for you with regards to your job, uh, you'll be sad to know. Um, but there can be something similar when it comes to the Christian faith. So uh, if you're someone who uh, is a Christian, who has uh, had a moment that you've heard the message, the good news of Jesus, how your sins can be forgiven, if you trust in him and you've responded and you've said yeah I want to do it I'm going to believe in Jesus and I'm going to uh, receive salvation there can be a question there well okay I've done it now what do I actually do what happens next how do I live the rest of my life given this decision I've made I remember when I first made that decision 19 years old and, and I said to a friend look I think I'm ready I want to be a Christian but I had no idea then what to do that day the next day and going forwards and uh, I had to have quite a few conversations I had to uh, have it um, laid out before me what what next after you become a Christian uh, and the passage we're going to look at today helps us address this question we've been doing a little series through uh, the book of Philippians we've called it the letter from lockdown because uh, Paul as he wrote was in prison to this church in Philippi that he'd started a few years earlier and we're in chapter 2 today verses 12 to 18. So uh, I'd invite you, if you've got a Bible, please do turn there so you can follow along uh, as I'm reading it and talking about what it says. But let me read the passage to you now. Uh, Philippians 2 verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, 
among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I didn't run in vain or labour in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So the answer to the question, now we're here, now we have been saved and become Christians, what do we do? The answer is given clearly in verse 12, isn't it? Work out your own salvation. Work out your salvation. Uh, and this phrase, it literally means work it through to an end point. It's like uh, the, the moment you get saved, that's the beginning. Uh, an eternity future, that's the end. But there's this thread running right between them. And we need to work this salvation out. And that's about how we live. It's about the things that we do in our lives. Now, what we do isn't what makes us saved or not saved. That's what Jesus has already done for us. But now that we are saved, now that we do have this salvation, the call on us is to live it out day by day by day. And the passage that we've read, it's just a, a short little passage, but it actually tells us a lot about what this means, about what it looks like, what's involved with living out our salvation. So and we're going to very briefly, rapid fire, 10 things this passage shows us about working out your salvation. So yeah, we have a 20 minute, 10 point sermon. Uh, so yeah, buckle up, we're going to go for it. And the first one that we see at the start of verse 12 is that working out our salvation is rooted in the gospel. Our passage begins with the word therefore. And whenever you see therefore, it tells you that what's about to come is tethered to what has just been said before it. And in the passage before this one, uh, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, it's all about the death and resurrection of Jesus. How Jesus, although in the nature of God, became man and humbled himself to death on a cross, but then was raised up and ascended to the highest place. It's all about how Jesus was willing to humble himself and die for you and for me. So it's telling us uh, the gospel message and then saying, therefore, work out your salvation. John Piper makes the link this way. He says, a godly life is lived out of an astonished heart, a heart that is astonished at grace. You see, working out uh, our salvation isn't the start point, uh, a transformation, a change in our life. That isn't where it begins. It begins by understanding what Jesus has done and responding to that. I've sometimes heard people say to me, you know, Tom, uh, I might become a Christian one day, but I've got too many things in life that I need to sort out and get in order first. That gets the order wrong. The first thing is receiving Jesus into your life. And when you do that, then the transformation process will begin. But on the flip side of that, it doesn't make sense either to say, hey, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to respond to Jesus and nothing is going to change in my life. If you receive the gospel, things do start to change. I mean, imagine being hit by a 10-ton truck and it not having any impact on you. Well, how much more the power of the Holy Spirit to bring you from spiritual death to new life and that not changing you. Some people say, I'm a Christian, and it's like you look at their lives and say, I can't see anything different. That's not how it should be. If you kind of see that desire for things to be different, if there's like just a, oh, well, uh, whatever, a lethargy about it, there's, there's something wrong there. If the gospel is true, 
let's live out that gospel in our lives. Well, the second thing we see about working out our salvation, if it's rooted in the gospel, we could then say it's grounded in love. It's grounded in love. Therefore, my beloved. He wants to make a point of reminding them how loved they are. Because, you know, you rarely take on board instruction from someone until you know how much they care about you. Think of the teachers uh, at your school. Uh, there'd be different teachers all trying to give you instructions, tell you what to do. But I bet it landed way more powerfully from those teachers that you knew were really on your side, were rooting for you and wanted you to do well compared to those teachers who just seem to see you as a bit of a problem. When you know someone loves you, it means you can listen, you can hear, you can take on board what they're saying. So Paul says, therefore, my beloved, he's reminding them of the affection that he has for them. And this is what Colin was talking about a few weeks ago as we started this series. And understanding this affection and this love that, that is poured your way, that changes everything. You know, I think about the times I've grown most over my Christian life. And these are the moments that I've had a community around me, that there's been people in my life who I knew were for me, who I knew loved me. And that gave me a safety and a security to, uh, to, to grow and to step forward and to listen to correction without uh, thinking my status is somehow challenged by this. It's the difference between being a son and daughter or being a servant. A servant needs to perform. They need to do it right uh, in order to keep a place in the house. They could be fired, but no one fires their kids. When you know you're accepted, it means you can grow into the family likeness. So to work out our salvation, we need to have a grasp both on God's unconditional love and acceptance of us. And, and let me tell you, that is true. God does love you and accept you unconditionally because of his son. But also, uh, we, we need to know the, the love from a community as well. Uh, and that's what we are as a church. That's why uh, we, we do this, not just individually, but that's why together, even in this virtual way, we're, we're running the race together. So if you're someone who's watching this anonymously, if you have uh, picked up the link and, uh, and are watching this and you don't know the other people who are part of the community, let me extend an invitation to you uh, to, to join us, to, uh, to come along to one of our community groups, maybe, or to uh, come to the quiz on Friday, but just get to know us a bit as well, to be part of a community where you can be known and loved, because that's an environment where you can grow. Well, the third thing then, um, just to, to move us forward uh, a little bit, therefore, my beloved, um, the next thing we see is that working out our salvation is about obeying Jesus. It's about obeying Jesus. He says, as you have always obeyed. So if you're wondering, hey, I'm a Christian, what do I do now? Well, the answer is now you're a Christian, you obey Jesus. In the Great Commission, after Jesus died and rose again, and I was giving kind of a, a big pep talk to his followers, he said to them, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So if you were to ask the question, what does a disciple look like? Jesus tells us the answer is a disciple is someone who's, who's been baptized, and then is obeying all the things that he taught. So let me just kind of put the challenge to you. If you're a Christian, and you know you've got some stuff going on in your life that isn't obeying Jesus, 
Let me just say it all, love. Cut it out. Cut it out. Obey him. Do what Jesus commands. Mike Pilavachi, uh, who was up with us a few years ago for one of our CCM days, he said a line that day that, uh, that stuck with me. He said, obedience is God's love language. I don't know if you've ever read the book about the five love languages and some people it's quality time and some people it's gifts and some people it's words and it's the love language that they will receive. But Mike said God's love language is obedience. And that brings to mind all those verses in the Old Testament talking about people who make uh, ritual sacrifices. And the verses say, look, you're doing the sacrifices, but do you think God really wants those? And what he really wants from you is obedience. Uh, and Paul says here, working out our salvation is about obeying. And then he goes on. He says, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. He's saying, work out your salvation, even when nobody is looking. Even when no one else is around, work out your salvation. Paul isn't in Philippi with them. And he moved on a few years uh, before he wrote this letter. But at this point in time, he's in prison. He couldn't even go to see them if he wanted to. And he said, look, when I was there with you, you obeyed. You lived out your faith and you did so really well. And I'm so encouraged to hear that you're doing so even when I'm not there with you. L work out your salvation both in presence and in absence. A time like the time we're in now, uh, you could say this is a time of absence. It's a time when we are isolated from the presence of one another. We're not seeing each other like we used to. And at a time like this, it'd be easy to, to let things slip in the way we live out our faith. Easy to make compromises because who would notice, who would see, who would call us out on it. And yet it's the things that we do in secret between us and God when no one else is looking. That's where the rubber really hits the road. Work out your salvation, even when no one else is looking. The fifth point I want to draw from the passage is to work out your salvation at the end of verse 12 with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. That might sound like a strange thing to say. What does it mean? Is it really telling us to be afraid? Well, sometimes the best way to understand something that might seem uh, to take us by surprise is to imagine what would be the opposite of this? What, what would be the contrast? And I think the opposite would be flippancy, irreverence, a kind of take it or leave it approach to living out our faith. But when you think about what this is, this is talking about the work of God in us. And we'll return to that point later. But it's God at work in us to transform us into his image. This is a serious business. It's something that should give us like butterflies in the stomach, the creator of the universe, the very presence of God be worked out in our own lives. Wow, that should be something that uh, gives us this kind of nervous excitement. Uh, just to give like a, a human analogy, you know, if you, if you really want to be in a relationship with someone, the idea of that, it does give you this kind of uh, nervous energy in a really good way. Well, how much more should a growing in the presence of God and conforming to his image give us that sense, that good fear and trembling? Well, now let's move on to, to verse 14. And I, I find this a fascinating one. Uh, it, it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So we could say working out your salvation involves not complaining. And as a practical 
example. Uh, this is the most practical thing he gives. The, this is the most detailed thing about what it looks like. Stop grumbling and stop disputing. I, I wonder if you hadn't seen this verse and, and you knew he was talking about working out your salvation. What would you have expected his first outworking to be? His first go-to example? Maybe it wouldn't have been this. Sometimes when we read this, we might think, is that really a big deal? Grumbling? and disputed. But just think about how big a part of our day-to-day -day lives grumbling can be, you know. If your boss at work gives you something to do that's a bit different to what you were planning on working on, or you wake up in the morning and you've got aches and pains in your body and you have to drag yourself out of bed, or, or you get a parking ticket and you have to pay it, or, or you have to take on board some, uh, some crit critical feedback that you don't want to hear or, or, or you're cycling to the shop so you get a puncture on your bike or, or you have to clean up your housemate's mess or you have to make a difficult phone call to somebody that you don't want to make. Whatever it may be, our days are full of things that inconveniences and how easy it is to slip into grumbling and complaining and disputing. To do all things without grumbling. It's not an easy thing. Scott Hubbard, uh, he said this, he said many of us wake up set to grumble and we move through our days murmuring at a great variety of objects that get in our way. We may dress it up in nicer words, we might call it venting or being honest or getting something off my chest or even sharing a prayer request. But God knows what we're doing and if we really think about it, we often do too. Grumbling is the hum of the fallen human heart and often a hallmark of Christians' indwelling sin. So to, to live without grumbling and disputing, that's really a remarkable thing to do, and it really does stand out. Now, verse 15, uh, now we start talking about working out your salvation into every area of your life. It says, uh, blameless, that, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in a crooked and twisted generation. So we're called to be blameless. And you might be thinking, well, aren't we blameless anyway because of what Jesus did on the cross? And the answer is yes. I remember uh, back when I was a youth worker, we'd quite often uh, illustrate this. We'd get a couple of kids up to the front uh, and we'd give them both like a, a big plain white t-shirt to put on and then we'd we'd start thinking about sin and the way we live our lives and, and do things that don't honor god and every uh, example we came up with uh, one of the t-shirts we, we kind of stain it to illustrate what sin does to our soul uh, and by the end of it as we've gone through all these different examples this t-shirt was an absolute state and then to show what jesus had done we'd we'd invite that person uh, to, to take the t-shirt off uh, and to give it to the other person who was uh, in the illustration uh, playing the role of jesus and they had a plain t-shirt because they never sinned no stains nothing to mar it uh, and they swapped and so this person who had this life of sin got to wear this a blemish free shirt and the person uh, who's playing jesus who had this uh, sin free life yet wore our sin and took it to the cross and took the punishment for it. So yes, we are blameless in Christ. That's the status we have. That's how he sees us. And so the call in this verse is to let that be seen. Let this truth about how God sees us be worked through into the way we live. I don't know if you've ever met anybody who you could describe by saying, they're great, but, and then 
something goes after the but. So you might say, oh yeah, she's great, but she does have a bit of a temper. Oh, he's great, but you wouldn't want to be around him after he's had a couple of drinks. Oh, they're great, but you wouldn't trust them to keep a secret. But by calling us to be blameless and without blemish, it's saying, don't let there be a their great but in the way people would describe you. What is it that people might put after that that, that, that is the area? Well, that's the area to work on and to grow in. Be the whole package. Don't have blemishes in any area, which, which is actually a really scary thing um, to think about. And if you can't think what those areas are, and uh, maybe a really um, challenging thing to do would be to ask somebody close to you uh, and put it to them, what are my blind spots? What am I not seeing? And to work on those areas. Well, here's, here's number eight where we're getting through these, but work out, working out your salvation is an evangelistically powerful thing to do. At the end of verse 15, it talks about uh, how you shine as light in the world. And the way you live your life for God in this world, that will make a difference to how the people around you think of God. And people will be looking on to see whether the faith that you profess with your mouth is actually credible uh, and whether it looks the real deal from the way you live. I remember in uh, the early days of my Christianity, I was given a big wake-up call. So uh, I'd been working in the shop for, for about a year, uh, and the subject of my faith hadn't come up uh, at all in that time. Uh, but, but on one day it did, uh, and as I say, it was about a year into the job, and I told people, look, I'm, I'm a Christian. And the response I got from them was like, what, you, a Christian? I never would have thought that. And that was a wake-up call, because it showed me that the way I was living wasn't having any impact. I'd look just like everybody else. And, and we're meant to shine. We're meant to show God in the way we live. You know, I've heard it said that, um, that there are people out there who will never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And the only gospel they ever read or ever encounter will, will be read in the way you live your life. Your friends, your work colleagues, your neighbours may be those people. I wonder uh, how, how closely what they see resonates with the truth. As a church team, um, we were talking the other day, we really want to uh, focus in on, uh, on evangelism. We want to up the ante on being outward focused. And Colin was talking about uh, the Alpha course that we're running and there'll be other events that we put on as well. But, but a key component of it is for each one of us to take an ownership of reaching out to the pocket of people around us. There'll be people in your world who don't know any other Christian but you, just as there are people in my world who I'm the only Christian that they know. And there's a call on us to think, what can we do to represent God well to those people? And Paul is telling us here that working out our salvation, that living our faith out, it actually gives us credibility as we want to have those conversations. The way we live and an integrity to it, it, it does some of the heavy lifting for us as we're telling people the truth about Jesus. The way we live, our actions can't be the only thing. There needs to be words as well, but it's a very powerful part of it. Verse 16, uh, working out your salvation involves holding to the Bible. It says holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to the word of life. I love the idea of holding fast. It's like I've got a grip on this and nobody is going to shake me off it. 
you remember back in uh, the 90s, those of you who were around then, a TV show, Gladiators, and uh, there were various games that they'd have to play. And one of them is like they'd have to swing across the arena uh, from hook to hook that were uh, hanging from the ceiling. And, um, and, and as they held these, uh, the, the, these rings, uh, they, they were kind of... Um, kind of having to hold on and the gladiators would come and, and grip them and try and pull them off and these people would have to hold on really tight to these rings from the ceiling and not get pulled off that image of holding on tight is what we're called to do here with the word of god you know there's so much out there that would want to influence us uh, and shape the way we think you know you only need to look at uh, the media the newspapers tv uh, social media or, or just go down random youtube rabbit holes or whatever it may be things will want to influence our minds and set us on certain patterns and put certain ideas or or views or or worldviews in there so there's a question then well what am i going to let shape the way i think what's well, the word of life the bible hold fast to that let that be the thing that shapes what we think what we believe and what we do read it study it mull on it and defer to it as the authority and then finally uh looking at uh, the end of our passage verse 18 likewise you also should be glad and rejoice with me work out your salvation with joy we're back to the central theme of the book of Philippians, joy, whatever the circumstances. Paul, in the previous verses, talked about how he's going to be poured out like a drink offering. He says he's going to die soon. And that may well be what happens to him. He's, he's mulling over that possibility. And yet he's glad and he's rejoicing because of what God is doing. And he calls on them to be glad and rejoice too. Christianity is not meant to be a stern and glum thing. It's just the opposite. This is a life of journeying with God and applying this salvation into our life. It's a blast. You know, I remember back when I was first weighing up my decision, should I follow Jesus or not? And there were a few Christians that I knew from different areas of my life. And the thought came to me that these people were the only people I knew who I could say had a deep joy and a satisfaction. And it radiated out of them. And that had a profound impact on me. And this is what we're called into as Christians. Now, we live in an age where joy is something that is, that is threatened, that is assaulted. There's lots in our age that would undermine joy. I think some of the big themes that I see time and again in, in many people are exhaustion and anxiety. And both of those could erode our joy. And yet there is this joy to be found in Jesus. So there's an invitation to raise your eyes and to look to him. Cast your cares on the Lord. But let me invite you to do that. If you're uh, watching this today uh, and you know you're burdened with things that are weighing you down, let me invite you to give those cares to God and to receive the joy of the Lord today. Work out your salvation. We've been talking about what that looks like and what it means doing in your life, and that's a really important thing. But before I leave you, let me not um, give you the impression that it's all on you. Working out your salvation is a two-sided coin. There's a part that you have to play, but also there's a part that God plays. And we're told about this in, in verse 13. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, sometimes 
people get caught up on the question of God's sovereignty and our responsibility and how the two relate to each other. But you know what? Both are true and both are important. God is at work in us. Therefore, we should work out our salvation. If we just have one or the other, we get in trouble. You know, if it's just about what we do, we end up being all works driven and self-righteous and full of human effort. But People can smell it a mile off and it's toxic, it's, it's pharisaic, it comes across as superior or judgmental. And a lot of the time when people get put off Christianity, it's because they've seen something like this. But then on the other hand, if we ignore the bit that we do and we just say, oh, it's all about God's work, just let go and, and let God. Well, that might sound right. It's like we're giving ourselves a free pass and it's like the things we do don't really matter. They don't have to accord with what we say we believe. And that just opens the door for hypocrisy. Both go together. Work hard. Live out your salvation. Why? Because God is at work in you. Let that spur you on. So where you despair, where you see areas of your life and you think, will this ever change? Have confidence because God is at work in you, both to will and to work. And where you have victories, where you take steps forward and where you grow, don't take too much of the credit for that because God has been at work in you working out your salvation as he is at work in you. Don't give up pushing on. Don't settle. You know, sometimes Christians can be way too pessimistic about what God can do in our lives. Run the race. Fight the good fight. Keep the faith. To end it, before I hand back to Colin, I just want to pray. Uh, and this is a prayer. This is a, a, an old prayer from the Church of England. But I just want to pray it over us together because I think it's uh, pretty apt for what we're talking about. So let's just bow our heads and let's pray. Almighty God, who alone can bring order to the unruly wills and passions of sinful humanity, give your people grace so to love what you command and to desire what you promise, that among the many changes of this world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.